As we're settling in this morning, I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible with you, to turn to John chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, fourth book in. The Gospel according to John. John was one of the people who walked very closely with Jesus. And we're going to read a little bit of his account of a story that happened there. As you're doing that, I want to invite all of our middle school and high school students uh, to kind of get up from your seats if you haven't already done so. And you are welcome to go along with Rajiv and our team of mentors to The Well which is our uh, youth ministry program for students in grades 6 through 12. They're going to head back the hallway to one of the classrooms here at the high school. They've got a morning of fun and Bible study and uh, some small group prayer time at the end. Uh, we've got a whole lot of things that we do. We really believe in, in developing safe programs for kids, for tweens, and for teens. And this is one of the ways that we reach out to that age group. So uh, moms and dads, they will be back in that classroom until the end of the service, and they'll meet you back right out here in the, kind of in the coffee cart area immediately following service. Also, if you didn't have a chance to pick up a t-shirt last week, we gave out Echo t-shirts as part of our celebration for the four-year anniversary. There is another supply of those t-shirts out there in the foyer on the way out. They are free to you. Please take one along home with you today, and and, uh, when it warms up a few more degrees, you can wear it out in public. It's a little cold for t-shirts today, but uh, we've got some out there for you. Uh, We're going to start a new teaching series today. It is um, inspired by, though it's not directly taken out of word for word, a book that I uh, read recently called The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. The title of this series is called Beneath the Surface. It's about taking a, a fearless, courageous, unfiltered, honest look about what's really going on deep inside of our hearts. So if you have your notes along uh, there in front of you, or if you're listening on our podcast, you may not have our notes in front of you, but you can kind of just follow along with us. The image for this series, some of you are here seeing this, and those of you that are listening now on, on, on podcast, you don't have the advantage of seeing this. But the image that we'll be using through this whole series is this really cool picture of an iceberg. And I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see um, an iceberg, not only what's above the surface, but what is really beneath the surface and what is beneath the surface of the water that's captured in this image is the overwhelming majority of the iceberg and if you're familiar with the story of the titanic and how it sank it didn't sink because of the part of the boat that collided with something on the surface it was that unseen massive part of the iceberg under the surface that actually sank that ship and this whole series is about talking how we as people that god created are kind of like icebergs the part of me that you see and the part of you that i see makes up a very, very, very small part of who I really am. The overwhelming majority of who I am as a person, who I am as a child of God, who I am in Christ, isn't necessarily what you see. It's all those things under the surface of the water. And coming to a place where I can be emotionally healthy as a follower of Jesus and as a disciple of Christ really involves more about digging down into those areas that we can't see that are under the surface deep in our heart. And letting those transformations shape the part of me that you can see. Rather than spending our whole lives trying to shape the part you can see. And thinking that it's going to trickle down into my heart. That's not really the transformation God desires. In just a moment I'm going to read to you from John. But let me tell you why this series is so uniquely personal to me. Um, I'm not a person who likes ultimatums. As a general rule I don't like ultimatums. But I remember the night years ago that my wife gave me an ultimatum. And she said to me, either you go get help or I'm gone. Either you go get help or I'm gone. I will never forget that evening as long as I live. And the truth of the matter was, if you would have known us at that point in our life, and you just looked at our lives, you would have not thought that there was trouble in paradise. 
We had good jobs. I had a very successful ministry at that time, was reaching a lot of people, was traveling all over the country and all over the world doing speaking engagements and healing conferences on different uh, continents of the world. We were getting invitations to do all kinds of different stuff. We had a beautiful home. We had the picture looked perfect from the outside. The truth of the matter was, underneath the surface of the waterline, there was trouble. I had really messed up some things in my life. And underneath the waterline, there were areas of my heart that I had opened up to sin and addictions and all kinds of terrible decisions. And my wife knew, but nobody else did. And when I shared those things with my wife and I tried to come clean, what I wasn't willing to do was to go and get help for those things. You know why? Because I cared so much about what people thought of me, I was unwilling to let God get at some of those other areas. You see, I made a deal with God that he didn't make with me. I made a deal with God and I said, as long as you'll let me protect the part of my life, that top of the iceberg, as long as you'll protect that, you and I will make a deal. I'll agree to stop everything that I'm doing cold turkey. I will agree to throwing my life into trying to be the person that I haven't been. And I'll ask you to forgive me, but don't make me have to tell anybody about it. Don't make me have to go get help for it. Don't make me have to to really do the hard work of digging down into my heart and changing it. I need to protect this. I need to protect my reputation. I can't have people thinking that underneath the surface of the waterline, this pastor they admire historically has gone through this, 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 and this. I don't want anybody to know. And so I put that burden on my wife, and I kind of got her involved in helping me to keep that secret. And that was unfair. That's not being a man. That's not being a Christian. That's not being a husband. Husbands don't ask their wives to help cover over all of their mess. And I'd asked her to be part of living a lie. And because she's a godly woman, she came to the difficult conclusion and got really good counsel to say, you might have to bring him to crisis point and draw a line in the scene because it might finally be the thing that helps him get very real very quickly with what's really gone wrong in his heart. But I didn't want to do it. I did not want to go get help. You see, as a pastor, there's just certain things you can't go get help for and still keep being a pastor. And I knew that by me agreeing to do this, I could forfeit everything on the tip of the iceberg that people thought of me, their idea of me being this holy man of God, this person who had a successful ministry. I recognized that by me doing the hard work of trying to get down underneath the surface and really dealing with all the different garbage that had accumulated in my own heart, it could mean me stepping aside for all those other things. And I wasn't really to make that sacrifice at that point until the night that my wife said, you either go get help or I'm gone. Well, the end of the story is this past January, we celebrated 16 years of being married. And in time since then, God's blessed us with a beautiful little son and he's healed and restored me to him and healed and restored our marriage. But I will tell you the pathway to getting there at some point, somewhere along the line, I had to finally go beneath the surface and start dealing with what was really in my heart rather than spending my whole life trying to control this image that I thought people had of me. So that's my story. What's going on under the surface of your own life that nobody knows but you and God? What needs to be transformed? What are the things in your own heart? Your issues aren't my issues. But what are the things that you deal with that people don't know about? That maybe Jesus Christ really wants to get to and transform. You see, we're like icebergs. 
The top of what people see of us only tells part of the story of who we are, but the top of who, what people really see is determined and driven by what's really going on deep in our own heart. The Bible speaks over and over and over and over again about letting God come into the deep parts of our life and change us there so that out of that, what we speak, what we think, well, how we think about ourselves, how we treat people is shaped by the inside not from the outside in. You see, other world religions teach you to just control your environment, control your mouth, control your thoughts, control your thinking, and that will somehow change your heart. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches let Jesus come into your heart and change you there so that out of that you speak who Christ is and you echo everything about that Jesus is. This is a wonderfully uncomfortable, painful journey to be sure. But I want you, understanding that, to look at this conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. You have to understand Jesus was a Jew, a Hebrew. That was his ethnic heritage. The Samaritans had a different ethnicity. The racial tension between these two groups of people is among the most contemptuous in all of history. Jews did not associate and speak to Samaritans at all, especially Jewish men speaking to Samaritan women. But there's a conversation that takes place that John records in John chapter 4. And here's what's going on. Jesus, not by coincidence, happens upon an occasion to talk to a Samaritan woman. And a few exchanges into the conversation, she tries to keep things very much on the surface. But you watch how Jesus tries to take the conversation underneath the surface and how she keeps trying to change the subject back to the above the surface. Watch this exchange back and forth. Here's what it says in John chapter 4. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. This took place at a well. Jesus was thirsty. He asked her to get him a drink. And they go back and forth about the definition of water. And Jesus says, I have a kind of water to drink that if you drink it again, you'll never be thirsty. And she says, give me that kind of water. He says, well, go and get your husband in verse 16, verse 17. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Here's what you need to understand. They had never met before this point. He had no, she had no recollection of who he was in her life. And so here's a guy that just out of nowhere starts saying, you're right, you don't have a husband. You actually, you've had five husbands, you've been divorced five times, and now you're living with somebody you're not married to. Sir, the woman says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that this here on Mount Herazim where our ancestors worship? You see what's happening here? Jesus is trying to go underneath the surface and say, you've got a problem. You're looking for love in all the wrong places, young lady. You've been divorced five times. You don't want to get married a sixth time, so you're just living with the guy and sleeping with him. You are missing out. There's something going on. Really what he's saying is, why are you here by yourself? All the other ladies come to the well together at a different time of the day. You're here all by yourself. Why are you so lonely? Why are you looking for love in all these different relationships? She doesn't want to talk about it, so she changes the subject. Well, you know, I really have this theological question maybe you could answer for me. And he keeps bringing it right back to underneath the surface. He says, dear woman, there's a time coming where it won't matter anymore. <laughs> the question you just asked me. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. 
Those who love him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Jesus Christ. When he comes, I know he'll explain all this to me. And Jesus whispers to her, I'm him. I'm that guy. It's me. I'm the Messiah. And you look at all the people Jesus could have revealed himself to in the Bible, and yet here's the lady that he says, I'm the Messiah. You see, Jesus recognized this woman's need for transformation wasn't an above-the-surface thing. It was deep underneath the surface in her own heart. And she was very uncomfortable with entertaining that conversation. It was a part of her life that even though it was public knowledge, she didn't want to draw unnecessary attention to. But Jesus recognized what she needed wasn't a drink. She needed to get very real and honest and truthful about who she was and who she wasn't. And that's why he says, if you want to be a true worshiper, if you really are serious about having relationship with this God you're talking about, it's not a matter of whether you worship here or there, whether you stand or sit, sing, sing hymns or choruses, lift your hands or just, it's all about you have to be truthful about who you are and who he is. How can you get to know God in truth if you yourself want to live a lie? And she says, boy, I wish that the Messiah would just come and break this all down for me. He's like, I'm right here. Here I am. So here's the big idea. The big idea is that becoming an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus requires me to take a fearless, unfiltered, honest look at what's really going on deep inside my heart. Becoming an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus requires me to take a fearless, unfiltered, honest look at what's really going on deep inside my heart. The point Jesus is trying to make is that there is freedom and liberation for all of us in one arena, and it's the truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is freedom and just coming to a place where you know and accept and agree with the truth. We've talked about this before. People say all the time, Well, Pastor, I just want you to tell it like it is. Just preach the truth. You kind of mean that and you kind of don't. Do you really like it when someone confronts you with the truth? About you. Because really at the end of the day, that's who you will answer to God for, is you. You will not answer to God for me. You will not answer to God for my wife or for how I raise my children. I realize you have plenty of opinions about all of those things. The truth is, you must know the truth about you and the truth will make you free. But you know what? There's part of us that does not want to know the truth. It's painful and it's uncomfortable because between knowing the truth and being set free, there's sometimes a yucky journey, isn't there? My wife helped me see the truth. It shouldn't have been a surprise to me. I knew. I agree with her. There was mess underneath the surface. And I wanted to be free from that. Do you know what it's like carrying that fear of being exposed for somebody you don't want people to think that you are? The pressure that's there. Do you know how much pressure and work it is to live a lie? It takes a lot of work. That's not freedom. That is called bondage. Working so hard 
to create an image that isn't really you to keep people thinking you're somebody that you should be that you really aren't is a lot of work. You know what's easier? Know the truth. Agree with the truth. Face it painfully, fearlessly and honestly and invite Jesus Christ who already knows to lavish His grace and His love and His forgiveness and His healing on you and transform those areas in your, under the surface areas, those areas deep in your heart, to transform those things, to renew your mind, to renew your heart so that you really can be that person that echoes Christ, but it's not a mirage. It's who you really are and it flows from the wellspring of your heart. The big idea is that if you want to become an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus, and let me just be clear, at Echo Community Church and all of our Trinity Life campuses, very simply, I'll tell, I'll simply, I'll tell you what we're all about. We are all about being and making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We want to some way come alongside you in your journey, help you understand where you are in relationship to Jesus and in what direction you are moving. You are either on a process of becoming more like Jesus you're in a process of becoming less like Jesus or you're stuck. I just want you to be honest and agree with God about where you are. What happens is you come into church and you, and you create the tip of the iceberg that you want us to think that you are. Well, I feel like to fit in here, I need to act and behave as though I'm really growing in my relationship with Jesus, even if I'm not. No, we want you to be safe being exactly yourself because we need to get down to being real here and figure out where you're really at so that we can help you move in the direction that God wants us to move. And that's being more like who Jesus Christ is. To become an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus, you've got to be honest. You've got to be fearless. You've got to be unfiltered. So Echo Community Church needs to be a place where you have permission and it's safe for you to be yourself. Now, sometimes that means some stuff's going to come out of us that we shouldn't be, but it's who we really are. Well, that's okay, but we're not going to let you stay there. We love you enough to help you through that. It's not anything goes. We want to be authentically Christian community, but we've got to be real and honest about who we are. So let me give you... There's more than this, but let me give you, because you know I'm a pastor and we think in threes, let me give you three steps that will help you towards getting emotionally healthy. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. Pastor Stuart and I are going to teach some things lifted right out of the Bible about this. Number one, understand, this is something you've got to understand. This isn't necessarily an action step, it's an understanding. Understand that the vast majority of who I am really lies deep beneath the surface. Understand that the vast majority, the overwhelming amount of who I really am lies underneath the surface. Now, you might see evidence of it. You might see it floating above the water. But the vast majority of who I am and the vast majority of who you are lies underneath the surface. Proverbs 4.23, Solomon writes this, Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your entire life. Think about that. Guard your heart above all else. He doesn't say guard your reputation above all else. He doesn't say guard your language. He doesn't say guard your eyes. He doesn't say guard your thought life. Those things are all important, but there's a root for all of them, and it is your heart. He says guard your heart because what is inside your heart determines the course of your entire life. What's in your heart? Our heart is very, very, very influential. I'm not talking about literally the thing that beats, though that's pretty important. You need it. The heart refers to this layer of who I am. Paul talks about it. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. Three in one, like God's three in one. 
And he says, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, if you really want to be clean before God and you want to grow spiritually, we've got to ask God to clean up all of it, the body, the soul, and the spirit. The body is the part of me that you see. It's my thoughts. Well, it's not my thoughts. My body is my attributes, my long flowing hair, the way that I look, the way I appear, my behaviors, my actions. They don't have a brain. My body is a slave to my soul. The Greek word for that is psyche. My soul really is what the Bible also talks about is my heart. That's my thoughts, my will, my emotions, my attitudes. That's what drives the things that come out of my body. In other words, Jesus said it this way. Have you ever heard this before? I'm sorry that I said that. I really didn't mean it. That's hogwash. You meant it. You're just sorry it came out. Your mouth doesn't talk independently of your brain and your heart. Jesus said this way, out of the overflow or the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. The problem isn't with your mouth, it's with your heart. We think the solution is just to control our mouth. The solution is to transform your heart. Because you can keep your mouth from saying it, but if you still feel it, it's an infection festering inside of you. And you don't need God to help you keep your mouth closed. Any old world religion will teach you how to do that. We need God to transform our heart so that what comes out of my mouth is the overflow of who Christ is. That's not naturally who I am. Above all else, guard your heart. Because not every man that looks at a pretty woman is thinking lustful thoughts about her. The problem isn't with his eyes, it's with his heart. Right? You can take all the images away from a man and he can still struggle with lusts because it's a problem of the heart, not just a problem of the eyes. Real solution and transformation isn't about just trying to manipulate and control the iceberg. Take all the bad images away, lock down all the computers. He's still going to walk down the street someday and see a woman that looks attractive to him and then how have we set him up to be transformed? It's not just that. It's about giving God access to the heart. Understand the vast majority of who you and I are is underneath the surface in our hearts. Here's the problem. As Christians, as followers of Christ, I realize that's not everybody in the room, okay? I realize there's some of you here today, Pastor, please don't call me a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm not trying to lump you into that category. Let me speak, though. Most Christians tend to focus on the upward and the outward. Here's what I'm doing for God. Here's what I'm doing with my family. Here are the things I'm doing. As a pastor, trust me. I've spent a lot of my life focused on the upward and the outward. In other words, I think God must be okay with the stuff he can't see under the surface because I see success on the upward and the outward. There's pastors of megachurches who we found out have all kinds of stuff going on under the surface. And we wonder, how is it that they can grow these huge churches and be successful and wealthy and have all these types of things and all this stuff goes underneath the surface? Well, because they're gifted by God. And the Bible says the gifts that God gives us are perfect. It'd be nice if he made them stop working whenever we sin. That's just not the way that they work. It's kind of backwards. And so some of us think because of all these great things I'm experiencing in my own life, God must be okay and going along with the deal of if I really focus on what the upward and the outward, then God will leave the rest of this alone. My friend, be careful when you buy into that. Because I will tell you this. God will allow pain to come into your life so that you have to dig down and deal with those things. Christians tend to focus on the upward and the outward, what everybody sees and thinks of me as a dad, as a business person, as a worshiper, as a member of a church. 
and we ignore what's really going on in our heart because it's, it's painful. We focus on the upward and the outward. The truth of the matter is that the journey to really being emotionally healthy in Christ involves going inward and downward, and that's painful. That's where God wants us to look, inward and downward in the depths of our hearts. So surrendering to that journey is difficult and painful. It requires unmasked, painful honesty. But Jesus, again, let me remind you, you said truth will set you free. Honesty requires fully looking at the whole truth. But think the whole way back. We would rather hide from the truth than come to God and say, this is just who I am. This is not a new thing. Think the whole way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They disobeyed God. And the Bible says when they realized what they did, they were ashamed and embarrassed. And you know what they did? Rather than coming to God and saying, we messed up, they tried to cover it up. And we've fallen in that same pattern today. Most of us would rather cover up our sin and cover up the stuff under the surface that God's trying to deal with it, the insecurities, the unhealthiness, the failed relationships, the anger, the bitterness, the avoiding of conflict, the perfectionism, overparenting, underparenting. We'd rather cover all that up before God than just come to him and say, you already know. Let's just be honest about this. Will you help me? Will you change me? Will you transform me? As if we think God doesn't know who we really are and we have to shape who we are to get him to accept us. Just because you think human beings need you to behave a certain way to fit in, please don't transfer and project that onto God. God loves you more than you could ever understand. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll say it 10,000 times. However much you think God loves you, you are wrong. He loves you more. However much you think he loves you, you're wrong. He loves you more. Let me tell you, I didn't feel like I could even go to God with everything under the surface because I felt like he'd be so disappointed in me that he even himself would just hold up his hands and be like, you know what, I can do everything except for you, man. You are really a mess. Truth is, this journey inward and downward, it's it's painful. It's painful. God often uses pain to get us to change. Unless there is sufficient discomfort and anguish, most of us will never do the hard work of taking a deep, honest look inside. I remember, let's fast forward through from that night that my wife and I had that conversation. We did go, and we did get help. I got help. She got help. We got help together. Um, It was pretty intense for several years, really. For two years, I was going to a professional Christian counselor twice a week, an hour each time. I gave up my career as a as a pastor for a while so I could go and get healthy. I took a job selling cars and started just working through the deep, painful look inside. And I remember one day, uh, my counselor made an observation to me. He called it doing an autopsy. Let's go back through everything. Let's really get under the surface. Here's what he said to me. He said, you know, Phil, here's the statement for you. I wrote it down because I want to get it just right. He said, you care about your reputation so much that you would go to any length, including lying to protect it. Let me tell you, I get no joy reading that to you this morning. I get no joy being this vulnerable to you. My wife and I were talking about this last night, and really it just kind of comes down to, I'd rather not say any of this, but if it could help one person in here get real about where you're at in life and learn from my own mistakes, then it's worth sharing with you. And I realize that by saying this, I open myself up to all kinds of things. Shoot, if I say my son is sick, you know, I I get some people that pray and some people that blast me for having a sick kid at church. You know, it's just, you you can't, you, you do what you do here but I feel like if we're going to be a place where we have to be safe, I have to be able to say, your pastor owns this too. 
I also have things in my own life that are under the surface that I'm asking God to come in and transform and change because the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of changing for me. You just have to come to a place where you just say, I want to change so bad that it is painful. I must have change. I'd rather go through as bad as change could be and as painful as it's going to be, staying the same is worse. And so that tips the scales and moves in that direction. But I remember the day my counselor said to me, you care about your reputation and what people think of you so much. Why can't you admit you're wrong? Well, I, don't you know you're wrong sometimes? Yes, why won't you admit it? Because I don't want my wife to think I'm ever wrong. She knows! Why won't you admit you're wrong? Even when you know you're wrong, why won't you admit it? When someone catches you and your wife or your husband or somebody in your life calls you on your stuff, why must you be so defensive? What's going on down deep in your heart that Christ might be trying to change by that reaction? Stuff going on down there. We need to be prepared for the possibility that whenever you move in this direction or you're encouraging someone to move in this direction, they might say no, they might reject you. Through pain, we often develop a hunger for change. There seems to be a direct correlation between the intensity level of distress in people and the level of intensity that they will bring into taking an honest look beneath the surface. But here's the thing. If I'm willing to go beneath the iceberg of my present self, I have to be willing to suffer the, dis- suffer the discomfort and pain that's part of pioneering new parts of myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me give you the number two and number three real quickly. Second thing that we can do is develop an awareness of what I'm really feeling and doing. It's becoming self-aware. Not self-obsessed. Becoming aware of what I'm really thinking, what I'm really feeling, and what I'm really doing. So we need to understand that the vast majority of me is under the surface. And then I need to start becoming aware of what's going on down there. See, we, we're, up on, we're up on the iceberg all the time. Why do, you, why do I look in the mirror so many times throughout the day? Really? Why am I doing that? See, most people think we're already really self-aware, but we're really not. And part of this comes to, you know, not becoming self-obsessed with just being aware. I really do look in the mirror a lot. Why am I doing that? Why am I so anxious all the time? Why, why is it that I get, I'm standing in line at the grocery store. I'm angry. Why am I angry? What is going on? What is it about me that is just angry? What's going on underneath the surface here? Emotionally, this is in your notes, emotionally healthy people invite God to make them aware of and to transform beneath the surface layers that hinder their becoming more like Jesus. Emotionally healthy, healthy people don't shut God off of what's going on underneath the surface. They actually say, God, will you help me be aware of and will you come in and transform the stuff going on underneath the surface in my life so that I can change, so that I can be different? And it's painful and it's difficult. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our example. Listen to this. John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And he knew he had come from God. And he knew he would return to God. Most Christians are self-conscious, but not self-aware. We're self-conscious. We are very aware of what people might be thinking or feeling about the way we look, the way we behave, the choices we make, the life we live, the status we keep. The way we look and worship, the way we look at church, we're very self-conscious, but we are not very self-aware. We're not really tuned in to what's going on in our heart that is driving and shaping our self-consciousness. Jesus, by contrast, is somebody who had very intense and raw emotional experiences, but he was able to express the whole wide range of human emotions responsibly. 
without projecting those things onto other people. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus was not an unemotional person. He was very, as we would say, emotionally intelligent. You see him, if you read the whole story, there were times he was angry. And he expressed it, didn't he? He didn't, no, it's okay, guys. You know, you you go ahead and commercialize the temple. And if you want to change money over here, it's okay. It's all good. Now, deep down in my heart of hearts, I hate you. And I'm thinking bad things about you over here. But I'm going to smile and tell you it's okay. I might even buy something just to make you feel good and then complain about it later. He meant what he said. And he said what he meant without being mean. He meant it. He was angry. He was also, he experienced deep grief. He cried when one of his best friends, Lazarus, died. He cried when he looked over the city of Jerusalem and was just considering how lost they were. He cried in those moments. He experienced surprise, astonishment, disappointment, joy, isolation, frustration. And yet he was very understanding of who he was and what was really going on underneath the surface. And he expressed those things responsibly. He's a model for us to see. Emotionally healthy people don't shut God off from the under the service. They invite him into it to transform it and to change it. So for some, well, how do I even begin that, Pastor? How do I not become obsessed with this? How do I not become neurotic and ask myself all these questions? It just becomes by asking God, God, help me understand. God created your physical body in such a way that it gives us clues as to what might be going on underneath. Have you wondered why you get all those headaches all the time? Why is it that your heart rate increases and you get nervous before a meeting you don't want to have? Why is it that you find yourself wanting to avoid certain things or rush to other things? Why is it that you duck confrontation or rush to confront? What's really going on there? Becoming an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus Christ means we don't ignore some of those things. We still don't say, why is it that I'm grinding my teeth all the time at this person? Why is it that I'm like this? I wonder, I wonder sometimes, you know, you see people in church or other places that just seem angry all the time. And there's part of me, if I knew them better, I just want to ask, you know, can I just ask, have you, have you ever smiled? No, I, this is just my default face. I'm a very joyful person. Could you inform your face? Now, church is the exception. Everybody's happy here. Everybody's thrilled to come in at 9.55 or 10.25 or whenever they come in. You sit in your seats and you smile through the service. You don't cross your arms. You're happy to see people. That's not real, is it? I wonder that sometimes because there's a real reason. And health and healing and liberation is just being able to say, this is the reason why I just don't feel it right now or today. I realize that church has been a place for many of you. I hope not here, but you've been hurt at church. You've heard things from pastors or people that have hurt you. They've said things about you that weren't true or they were true and you didn't like that they said them or whatever it is. I recognize that just coming to a building like this for some people because of all kinds of things on the surface just makes you stressed and fearful and afraid of being judged and feeling like an outsider and feeling condemned or being reminded of painful experiences in your past. Can we just start being real and honest about that and really thinking through that? Because once you can get there... We have just created a beautiful palette for God to be able to bring grace and healing into our lives so that you can find freedom from that. Wouldn't it be wonderful rather than feeling like the rest of my life I have to cross my arms and be angry when I come to church? Wouldn't it be nice to just feel like I'm dealing with that, God's working with me on that, I'm finding traction, and that level of stress and tension in my life is evaporated and gone now? 
the enemy doesn't hold those cards over you any, anymore. There's a lot of important issues here, but my, here's the, in summary statement, the author says this. He says, my great concern with the call to a deep, hard look inside is that most people believe they're already doing so. The sad reality is that most of us have not allowed Jesus to transform those deep layers underneath the surface. Finally, number three, ask what's going on inside, inside, what's going on deep inside my heart that Jesus might be trying to change here? What's going on deep inside of my heart that Jesus might be really trying to change? It's in that, we read that passage earlier, the, the exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. The summation of that was that Jesus wanted the Samaritan woman to go down underneath the surface and say, listen, this is not a fact-finding thing. Let's just agree with the facts. You've been married five times. The question is, why? What are you looking for that you're not finding? Why did those five relationships fall apart? What are you learning about yourself in this? Why do you feel like you still need the companionship of a man, but you've so given up on marriage that this has become the arrangement you've settled for in your life? What does that tell you about you? What does it tell you about what you're missing? And the truth might be something like, I am so desperate to be loved, and I've been so disappointed that I've tried to find it through sex and through companionship and through relationships, and all that happens at the end of the day is more sex and more companionships, but I've never found love. I don't know what the answer to the question was, but you see, Jesus was saying, the help that I can give you is not just by giving you a drink of water or answering a theological question. It's getting down to helping you see what's really in your heart. Helping you to be honest with that and then invite Jesus in there to start transforming those layers. Can I ask you that this morning? What's going on in your heart that Jesus might be trying to change? Why do you need so much affirmation and, re- and encouragement in your life? Not that it's a bad thing. Why do you feel like you need it? Why do you constantly measure yourself up to other people? Why do you feel like you have to look in the mirror so many times? Why do you avoid so much? Why do you avoid difficult conversations? Why do you run from accountability and confrontation? Why do you feel like you have to answer every email five seconds after it's sent? Or why do you feel like you need to avoid them all until you feel like answering them? Why will you never admit to important people in your life that you're wrong? Or why will you admit to things that you know you didn't do wrong, but you admit to it anyway? Why do you not take responsibility? Or why do you take responsibility for things that's not your fault to cover for somebody else? Why, why do you set standards for yourself, for your family, for your kids that are too high for them to reach? Or why do you set no standards whatsoever for yourself, your kids? Those are important questions for us to ask. And it goes down beneath the surface. And there's a collection of all... Not all those things are sinful. Not all those things are evil. They're just beneath the surface. They're in your heart. And if you really want to have relationship with God that's honest and open, you have to open yourself up to Him and let Him have access to all of it, not just the part of the iceberg you want Him to see. Well, pastor, how do I do that? That's painful. That's difficult. That's murky. Here's how. Once we begin to look beneath the surface of our lives, you're going to see an abyss of ugliness that can be frightening. But I want to give you a quote, the conclusion part of your notes. Invite the worship team to come. 
I love this statement. It's not mine. The author of this book wrote it. I'm telling you, I have memorized it. I have internalized it. It's on the tip of my tongue. I speak this over my own life. Really, today is the introduction. This gets, we're going to be much more specific in the next parts of this, talking about you know, breaking you know, you know, pain of the past and all kinds of other things that go subcategories. Here's the statement. If you get nothing else from me this morning, it's probably too late already for me to re- recover all that, but I want you to take this statement along with you. From Mr. Peter Scazzaro. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. Yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in your place. You have to take both parts of that statement. Most people would like to cut off one or the other. You have these people who want to walk around like Martin Luther who just had this complex about how horrible he was. You know, the guy, the 95 theses or how many theses it was, he hammered on the thing back in the 1500s. There's a story of Martin Luther that he went to a, to a priest to confess all of his sins. And he was in that booth for hours and hours and hours. He was confessing every possible thing that he could think of in an effort to get clean. And I forget what the actual math was, eight, ten hours, some long period of time. He finally had gotten down to every possible thing thought and substream and everything he was finally at the place where he thought i've gotten it all out i'm finally clean story goes he leaves the confessional booth and he walks down the hallway and immediately another evil thought enters his mind and he has to go run back there and he just comes to the conclusion we're just all so horribly flawed there's some people that just say you know hey i'm not a bad person i'm a good person there's nothing really wrong with me i just i've always been kind of a good person well the gospel says we're all flawed we are flawed irreparably that no matter how hard we try to clean ourselves up, it's not permanent. There will be regression. There will be repetition. We will come back. It's just part of who we are. We don't need to walk around thinking, you know, you, you've got some of the hymns that even talking, you know, for such a lowly worm as I, you know, this idea that they, some people just harbor on that. that we're all so awful. And we're all dirty. You can't talk. That's only half the equation. Yet. We are also more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in our place. I am flawed. Probably worse than I'd like to admit. But I'm also more loved than I could ever possibly imagine. And both of those things are true. So how do I ever get to a place where I feel safe giving Jesus access to that? The gospel becomes your filter. The gospel reminds you... You are flawed, and he knows you're not going to surprise him. If you say, God, I just rec- I recognize today, I want to admit to you, I am a hopeless perfectionist. And it's not a badge of honor that I wear. It makes me difficult to get along with. I have unreasonable expectations for myself and other people. I get unnecessarily angry when I make mistakes. I get unnecessarily angry with other people. I want to be a person who believes in ex- excellence, but not driven by perfectionism. Everybody around me knows it. I'm just being honest with you. You think if you say that to God, he's going to be like... Telling all the angels, slow down. Listen, we've just, we knew in breaking news. I didn't know that. Like God's going to be like, oh man, I've just got to, I'm going to sit down. You really think that's the God that we know? And if some of us think that he is that way because we had a parent or a boss or a sibling or somebody in our life that is that way. That's not how God is. God says, thank you. You and I finally agree on the truth. Now, can we work on this? Can I just love you? How about some forgiveness? Would you like forgiveness? How about grace? Can I give you some grace today? How about mercy? How about healing? How about a healthy outlook on life? How about peace for yourself? Would you like to have all those things over that situation? Well, yes, please. What do I have to do to earn it? 
Oh, no, 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 no. Just have it. Well, that's a lot, God. I feel like I should have to do it. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. It's my pleasure to give it to you. You see, when you recognize that God loves you more than you could dare believe, and He knows you better than you know you, He loves us because of us and in spite of us. He loves us. I want to become like that. Could you imagine being part of a community of faith where our church as a whole says, we love you and we accept you. You do not have to change to fit in here. We give you grace and we give you permission to be exactly who you are and no one else. And as parts of you that you feel unsafe sharing begin to bubble up, if there are areas that don't match up like Christ, we will love you enough to give you grace and mercy and forgiveness and help to find freedom from those things and become more of the person that God imagines you to be. Could you imagine what God could do in a community where people feel less pressure to have to be what the media and society and expectations tell them they have to be and can just be who they are in Christ and that that's okay? That's really what this is about, friend. It's not about you trying to go home and create this crafted image that everybody else sees. It's painful when you can't own up to those things. I mean, goodness, look at the news. Look at Brian Williams with NBC. Have you followed that story? Here's a guy who for years tried to create this image of I am, <laughs> I am a trustworthy, reliable news anchor. But yet somewhere along the way, he felt like he, people needed to know that he was maybe more brave and more courageous than he actually was and had to start fabricating and embellishing stories. Why? He might not know how to say it, but I'll tell you why, because I've walked that path, because he wants people to think of himself as somebody that he wanted to be that he wasn't. So he had to lie about being shot down in a helicopter when it wasn't him. And now, because he's delayed all these things, now he's having to go down on the surface, and there's not a whole lot of empathy for that. Just another cultural example and a lesson for us to learn from. Listen, friend, don't be so obsessed with shaping your reputation that you lie to protect it. Just be truthful and honest with God about who you really are. If you're here this morning and you want a genuine relationship with God, you don't have to become somebody else. He already knows who you are under the surface. Salvation comes when you just agree with God about the true state of who you really are. You can't come to God thinking that you're perfect and ask Him for a Savior. The people who really cling to Jesus are the people who have come to the terrifying conclusion that they need to be saved from something. You don't think you need the lifeguard, no point in having a relationship with Him. You think you're a great swimmer, you don't need those things. I've come to the terrifying conclusion I need a Savior. I need to be rescued from sin, from myself, from all my dysfunction. That's what you have to have in order to come to God. God, you and I agree about who I really am and who I'm really not. Will you just accept me? I would like to find my identity in you. So now I make you my Lord and you my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all the things that are under the surface in my life. And I invite you into my heart, into the center of who I am, to transform the way I think, the way I behave, the way I treat people I like, the way I treat people I don't like, the way I forgive, the way I look at myself the expectations I have for me. I invite you to transform all of those so that I am not, (laughs) so that I actually am an echo of who you are, Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in a song. We have a few minutes here. I'm going to, in fact, with every head bow and and every eye closed, I want to invite our prayer team, if you're here this morning, those of you that are here, if you just begin to make your way to the front, today might be a good day for us to have some time at the end of the service if you're here this morning in just a moment and you'd like to just share something that's going on in your life with somebody who will just listen to you and understand and pray with you the new testament teaches that that's a part of what the church is for we're here to listen to you and pray with you if you need it 
So we've got some trustworthy people that are coming right now. But in this moment of privacy in your seat, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what your religious background is. Or, and, and really, honestly, in this conversation, that doesn't really matter. The most important thing is, is where are you in relationship to Jesus Christ? Are you sour towards him? You don't really want to hear anything and you're kind of here against your will today and you can't, ready to, you can't wait to get out of here. If that's the case, you've only got a few more minutes and then you can leave. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're kind of open to Jesus, but there's some hurt, there's some intellectual objections, there's some mystery about all of this. Or maybe you're seeking, you'd say, I don't really have a, a strong relationship with God. I, I've never asked Him to forgive me of my sins. I've never really committed my life to being a follower of the life and the teaching of Jesus. But I'm really interested and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm really ready to make that decision. Or you might say, you know what, I am I'm saved. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've invited him to be my Lord and Savior. I've surrendered control of my life to him, and I'm serving him today. Most important question is not about where you came from, but where are you in relationship to Jesus? And then in what direction are you moving? Is your life incrementally, day by day, looking more like who Jesus is? Or is it looking less like who he is? Or do you feel like you're stuck? If you're here this morning, and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to, or I'm stuck, I want to invite you to join me in a prayer that will resolve this relationship between you and God that invites him into the center of your life and that gets you unstuck and gives you traction. Simple prayer like this. Jesus, I agree with you that I'm a sinner. That underneath underneath the surface in my life, there are things that are out of order. And it's all the result of me doing life the way I think it should be done best. I've become my own conscience. I've become my own definition of right and wrong. I've become my own moral system. And I recognize as good as I might think that that is, it's flawed. There's no freedom in it. There's a lot of pressure. So today, I want to make an exchange of that system. I want to invite you in my life, not to give me a system, but to have a relationship with you. So please forgive me for living life my own way, for disobeying you, for sinning against you. Come into my life, into the center of my heart. Transform me so that I become every day a little bit more like you, Jesus, and a little bit less like who I used to be. Or you might be saying this morning, God, I am stuck. You and I have talked historically at different times, but I'm stuck. I'm not moving anywhere. And perhaps one of the reasons I'm stuck is because I've been unwilling to get very honest with you about who I am and who I'm not. So today, no more games. I'm going to take a fearless, unfiltered, honest look deep inside me and invite you to come along in there with me and help me be aware of what's out of order and what's really going on there. And I give you access to it. God, it is painful. I'm a little bit scared about what this means. But the pain of staying the same is greater to me than the pain of changing. I must change. I want to be free. I don't want to live with this level of misery and tension and haze. I want relationships to be restored. I want to have healthier relationships in my life. I want the people around me to know the real me. But I need your help. And in this moment of just being quiet and still, I ask one more time, what might be going on in your heart today underneath the surface that God might really want to change? Will you let him do it?